0: Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort.
1: Dodge evil villains, defend the earth, and face a fire-breathing dragon. At Universal Studios Florida.
0: Enter the lands of superheroes. Ooh! Beasts. I love a beast. And magical creatures. Yeah! At Universal's Islands of Adventure. And live the carefree island life at Universal's Volcano Bay. The first ever... What a theme park. Don't mind if I do. When you stay at a Universal Orlando hotel, the thrills of three amazing theme parks are outside your door. Plus, that's right, there's a plus. Hotel guests get exclusive benefits that make every day of their stay even more awesome. So wake up where the action is. Plan your Universal
1: Orlando vacation at www.universalorlando.com
0: Warning Binge Mode contains adult content That's right
1: (sighs) Lots of wand work in this movie So if you're okay with that please stick with us If you're not check out one of the other fine podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network
0: One more warning Binge Mode contains spoilers if you don't yet know why we're mopping up the human confetti from the mm. Hogwarts
1: Courtyard, <laughs> it's everywhere, it's, folks. It was moldy-voldy. Please proceed with extreme caution. And now, binge mode.
0: You'll stay with me. Until the end. And he won't be able to see you. No. You see, stay close to me. Always. Welcome to Binge and Harry Potter. Yes. Proudly. Part of the Ringer Podcast Network. hmm I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. Oh! <laughs> great website! That's great. Joining me today, now that he's finished welcoming Draco <sighs> with a warm embrace. I'm here, Draco. Embrace me. It's Ringer Senior Creative. Your head master. Jason Concepcion.
1: Oh, well done, Mel. Well done.
0: <laughs> and well done on Binge Mode Harry Potter. I thought you were going to do the whole oh, intro in the multi-voice. God. I got so excited. And
1: well done on Binge Mode Harry Potter, <laughs> where we've been exploring every facet of the Harry Potter
0: universe. It's like being in the studio <laughs> with Ray finds himself. Whether or not you've decided
1: <laughs> to head to the boathouse instead of the Shrieking Shack, Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Yes. 5 points only. Oh, <laughs> uh, I will kill every man. Oh! <laughs> uh. Please follow us also on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans, and which, like all of our social media communities, is an excellent place to continue to engage with your fellow binge heads between the end of Binge Mode, Harry Potter, and the return of Binge Mode Game of Thrones. (laughs) Please stay engaged. We will be there with you. Yes. Also go ahead and head to the ringer.com/slash shop. Should the movement find you to check out our binge mode merch. Very comfy for bank heists and dragon freeing.
0: <laughs> Last time on binge mode Harry Potter. Oh. We concluded our HP book binge by exploring how love shapes chapter 36 and the epilogue of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And indeed. Yes. This entire magical story. Yes. And on today's episode, we are completing our Binge Mode Harry Potter film binge. Oh! By exploring Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part two. If you missed the part one movie pod, scroll down your feed. It's right there waiting for you. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge as always. While the eighth and final original Harry Potter film is today's primary focus, we will be going deep.
1: Oh, deep down to the vault.
0: <laughs> on details from all seven books and ten films, including Fantastic Beasts. And the wider Potter canon. Mm. Taking the entire series into account from the moment Aberforth hands us Butterbeer. And we tell him about Horcruxes. Sure, why not? Just <laughs> fill him in on it. <laughs> So snap your wand. Actually, wait, no, no. Don't do that because that's, that's not a thing that you should do. Don't do that. Keep your wand intact, especially if it's the most powerful wand of all time. And then look at us because you have this podcast size. Mel.
1: Mal. If you have to ask, you'll never know. If you know, you need only ask. Mm, So let's offer up a very brief refresher on what actually happened in the second Hallows film by climbing aboard this scarlet steam engine of plot, the Hogwarts Express. Give us one last choo-choo, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Choo-choo!
0: Newly escaped from Malfoy Manor and mourning the death of their friend and savior, Dobby, Harry, Ron, and Hermione set out to infiltrate Gringotts and recover The next Horcrux from Bellatrix Lestrange's vault. They enlist the help
1: of Griphook the Goblin. Even more of a dick in the movie than he's in the book. (laughs) Harry uses the Imperius Curse to get to the vault. And after grabbing Hufflepuff's cup, they escape on the back of the Gringotts dragon.
0: Harry sees into Voldemort's mind and learns that a horcrux is at Hogwarts. And the trio then travels to Hogsmeade to try and find a way into the castle. Thanks to
1: Aberforth Dumbledore, Neville Longbottom, and a secret passage in, they reach Hogwarts, where Harry reveals himself and McGonagall dual-state until the headmaster flees.
0: Battle preparations then commence as the trio splits up to deal with the horcruxes. Ron and Hermione enter the Chamber of Secrets and each other, no, whoa! To
1: grab a basilisk fang. I can't wait to talk about that scene. I'm very excited to talk about
0: that scene. Imagery in that scene. I am excited to talk about that scene. (laughs) Just a basilisk fang-sized bit of excitement. Everything about that scene is like
1: is JK's is basically the movie version of like a full-on sex scene.
0: There's a lot of erotic imagery and they, not so subtle listen, euphemistic imagery that
1: I support. They enter a tunnel, go down into a deep, moist, <laughs> dark place. Surges of water oh, but, slash ejaculate. Before that, Ron grabs a very phallic-looking uh-huh. fang out of the head of a snake. <laughs> yep. And when he pulls it, yeah, the water erupts. <laughs>
0: And then he's literally like, to Hermione, you do it.
1: (laughs) Where have you guys been? The battle's going on. We were just smoking a cigarette. Smoking a pack of cigarettes. Maybe the best scene in the movie.
0: Honestly. It's iconic. Anyway.
1: (laughs) They destroy the cup. Another Horcrux down. Harry discovers the location of Ravenclaw's diadem with the help of Luna which the trio destroys following a deadly skirmish. (laughs) Shouts for boiled goil. Not quite as snappy as broiled crab. Missed that guy. Yeah,
0: sad. (laughs) In the Room of Requirement. Shouts to the Room of Requirement. That looked great. After Harry learns from Voldemort's mind that Nagini is a Horcrux, the trio then heads to find the snake in the boathouse. But they arrive to witness Voldemort kill Snape, his ostensibly trusty servant in an effort to gain mastery of the Elder Wand. Phoenix Song, Perseverous Snape.
1: Moments before dying, Snape gives Harry a collection of memories to view in the pensive. As the rest of the castle grieves the loss of family and friends, including Fred, Lupin, and Tonks, Harry learns all about Snape's true loyalty and lifelong love for Lily Evans, and that he himself is an unintended horcrux who must die if Voldemort is to be
0: ultimately defeated. Phoenix song for Fred, Lupin, and Tox as well. Harry says goodbye to Ron and Hermione and walks into the Forbidden Forest, accompanied by the ghostly projections of his parents, Lupin, and Sirius, summoned from death by the resurrection stone that Dumbledore had hidden inside Harry's caught snitch. Voldemort
1: kills the boy who lived, or does he?
0: After being struck by
1: the Avada Kedavra curse, Harry wakes in King's Cross and has a quite truncated conversation with Dumbledore, after which he returns to the world of the living.
0: Voldemort, thinking Harry dead, proclaims victory, hands out hugs, but Neville doesn't give up the fight, and Harry springs up as the battle begins anew. Neville kills the snake,
1: Harry defeats Voldemort after a wild and rather physical airborne fight,
0: (laughs) and the Dark Lord is defeated for good. Nineteen years later, Harry and Ginny's middle child, Albus Severus Potter, sets out to begin his Hogwarts career with a ride aboard the Hogwarts Express. And Harry reassures his son with lessons about bravery, identity, and belonging. Jason. Yeah? I'd like to say something. I think we'd all be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Well, if you'd like to hear us discuss every beat Of the second half of the Deathly Hallows plot, we encourage you to please check out our numerous episodes on the book, all of which are already posted on our feed. Today, we're going to focus on the film as both an adaptation and a standalone work by handing out some superlatives and house points. Dishing out seven awards because seven remains the most powerfully magical number. First, the big idea of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two mm-hmm. is
1: closure I think you can view every choice made in this film for good and ill mm-hmm. uh, through the lens of closure uh, clearly filmmakers didn't want to leave any loose end hanging and I think um, some of the directness of the film can be attributed to the fact that you know Harry just being like we're hunting horcruxes can be attributed to the fact that they're trying to close all the loops uh, That can also be, that's also the result of the fact that they split Deathly Hallows, the book, into two films. This is the shortest film of the series that bears the responsibility Mm -hmm. of ending the series in a satisfying way. Big finish for all of our characters. It's a lot of load-bearing weight on the shortest film in the series.
0: We talked about this a bit in the Deathly Hallows Part 1 podcast, Mm -hmm. a film that, we both really enjoy. Yeah, the problems in Part One are really sins from prior films, right? And you feel that even more. Yes. In this film, now I think this film <clears throat> has problems of its own making, which we will get to in the worst book to movie changes, truncated scenes, things that are just left out entirely. But a lot of the rushed or very direct aspects yeah. that you just mentioned come from. For example, like, a Horcrux montage is necessary yeah. because we don't right. get the list in right. Half-Blood Prince to right. establish what those things are. So you've got
1: got to download all that information right here, right a now. A lot
0: right. of that has to happen. And I think that there is a overall pace and quality to the film that was maybe unavoidable. Yeah. But I also think that it's in many ways deliberate. And it feels like in some ways that was... Part of the desire to split the films was yeah. not only to be able to spend more time. Uh, well, listen, let's also be real for a second. To make more money, right? Of course. This is very valuable IP. Yeah. And, okay, great. Give us, give us more of these movies. Give us more of these stories. Wonderful. Splitting the films allowed for the first one to luxuriate in these smaller, gentler moments yes. with the characters. Deathly Hallows Part II is an action movie, yeah, It's just, period.
1: It's just balls to the wall from the get-go.
0: Yes. And so while closure might be the ambition and, and the result, I think the closure takes a very different form in the yeah. film than certainly what we get in the book because there's a desire for the massive fireworks display or confetti display, as you might have it, right? With Bellatrix and, yeah. and Voldemort literally exploding into slivers of human dust. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a battle. We're going to show up. We're going to flex every CGI muscle we have. We're going to put all of these characters, some of whom we've really enjoyed seeing together in the past, and now we get to see it together again for the first yeah. time in a while, some of whom haven't really gotten to interact meaningfully. Everybody's going to be together. It's basically whether you're aligned or you're on opposite sides of the battle line, it's kind of a goodbye party, yeah. right, for the entire cast yes. and for every character in the story. What you lose in the film as a result of that, and some of it is because of the stylistic and and pacing choices, and some of it is because movie making is a different medium yeah. than novel writing. You lose the nuance and the subtlety. And, and what you miss most of all, I think what we miss most of all, as people who love the end of this book, dearly is... Just those quiet moments inside Harry's mind. I'll say this. I think that I I agree completely
1: with your analysis of the film in terms of its pace. And it is an action movie. The Gringotts heist happens Mm
0: -hmm. right right away. Yeah, That's basically
1: the beginning. Yeah. So I will say that it it feels like they're, they're trying to balance two things. One, closure through... These Mm set-piece action scenes in order to release the tension built up from the previous films, you know, like the ultimate Potter-Voldemort wrestling match slash battle. Mm -hmm. I can almost, like, imagine being in that room where they're like, well, I mean, you know, it's like we've spent all these movies building up to this. It can't just be one spell and it's over. Like, we need something. At the same time, and I'm not saying they executed this satisfactorily, certainly for book readers— They do have a good antenna for the emotional beats, the emotional scenes from the book that they really need to hit. Mm -hmm. Did they hit them in a manner that I think conveys the power of those scenes in a way that honors them? Totally, no, not really. But you know, they knew that they had to hit. They knew they had to hit the princess tail. They knew they had to get Harry's walk. They knew they needed King's Cross. While those scenes are truncated, they also leaned on them. Pretty heavily, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they were shortened and compressed. And
0: whatever. we're going to talk about all three of those chapters and scenes at length a little bit later on. I think that they, to varying degrees, are uh, surprisingly successful and like tragic,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and somewhere right. along the
1: spectrum. Yeah. But I mean, they got they got it right in terms of understanding that those scenes are absolutely crucial.
0: I'll say I, I don't want to be too yes. harsh. Throughout. So I'm gonna save the King's Cross talk in particular for later. I think one. that one I, I really struggle with. I think the key difference, mm-hmm. putting aside, you know, the the reality that we just have to accept that we can't get every single beat of a chapter in the movie. I think the positioning of those three moments, scenes, chapters, however whatever, however we want to refer to them, Princess Tale, Forest again, King's Cross in the movie. Mm-hmm. While they carry a lot of emotional weight and they give us three major beats of closure for Harry and other key characters, Snape, Snape Dumbledore, Dumbledore. Yep. they are moving us toward what the movie considers the conclusion, that's a great which point. is the battle. Right. I do not think that's the way the book is. The In the book, oh, no. the final battle between Harry and Voldemort, ultimately, while everything in the series has has built toward that point, ultimately feels like a coda. Right. I think everybody that's who cares point. about those books really— I don't want to, okay, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. I shouldn't say everybody. I feel this way. And I think a lot of people feel this way. The princess tale, the Forest again, and King's Cross, that is the end of but, Harry's story. Well, you know, the— Because it's not about winning a battle. The, it's about understanding who he the, is and what matters yes, in The
1: Voldemort, life. The Voldemort-Harry confrontation is called the flaw in the plan because yes. the battle was lost long ago. Right, exactly. He had miscalculated, yes. and now all those things were coming back on him. It wasn't about, now we're going to have this duel. Right. It was about he had fucked
0: up all the way through and didn't know it until that moment. Right. And the nature of the duel in the book is so much about Harry explaining that to him as a final effort. And giving him a way out. Right. A final sliver in the door toward remorse if he would just choose to open it and walk through. Which, of course, because he is Voldemort, he does not. But— To return to our big idea and our theme. With Snape in particular, I think the film successfully achieves that. Yeah. Saying this is a character who, as a moviegoer, you have maybe loathed, maybe delighted in, maybe somewhere in between. But regardless of how you felt, regardless of which side you landed on. Because we have to keep in mind that is Snape good or evil? Did Snape really mean to kill Dumper? What happened? That was just as big of a thing in movie land. Yep. As it was in the books, obviously we knew the answer by the right. time the film was made because this, the book existed. But there are plenty of people who, who consume the movies and the movies alone, and we obviously have respect for that. And one of the things we we love about the story and the fandom is that there are so many different ways you can yes. choose to consume it. And so for a lot of people, this was the reveal finally about Snape's character and about who he was and what motivated him. And to be able to give that understanding for Snape's character, but also to show us pretty succinctly. And clearly how Harry processed that, that I think is one of the storylines where the film best embraces the idea of closure. Less successful
1: with Dumbledore. That's a t- yeah. They were like, let's make it subtext, basically. He's been hit by the killing curse. He's in this limo talking to Dumbledore. Again, I can imagine myself in the room and he comes back. We don't need the huge download of information because you kind of get it.
0: Well, the, that's... Kind of a textbook example of the larger thing we're talking about, which is what information would they even give us there because there's been no groundwork laid. You know, we don't have Harry agonizing over this feeling of betrayal and what Dumbledore didn't tell him and why. You know, there are some hints of it, but that's it doesn't dominate the, the earlier run up to that moment like it does in the book. Ariana and Grindelwald, they're like yeah. whispers, you know? They're—it's Barely it's, whispers, uh, yeah. a, The portrait in the Hogshead, head, a picture in a book. I mean, it's just that stuff isn't there to then return to in this meaningful way. The cost of that is obviously just that we don't learn about Dumbledore as a wizard or a man or anything else that made him who he is. So the closure is specific <laughs> to yeah. him and Harry and this journey. Yeah, this final
1: moment of the teacher and the student getting to say goodbye,
0: essentially, to each other. And Harry is much more in the role of student still in the film. Yes. He's asking Dumbledore still for guidance and clarity, as opposed to really being the one who understands at last. You know, he's still yeah. saying, like, what ha- should I on? do? Yeah, what should I do? What should I do? And then Dumbledore's like, <laughs> oh, bye! <laughs> Obviously, we get some closure with Voldemort in the sense that he has turned into confetti and dies. Confetti man!
1: <laughs> they have that... I, I was specific to the battle and to Harry and Voldemort's final um, duel. I was really trying to experience it as if I knew nothing of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I think from that perspective, you know, you're like, this is pretty cool, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. The moment when they're wrestling and their faces kind of merge. From a pure movie perspective, that's pretty cool. And it says a lot about the relationship between those two characters and where they are in that moment. From a book perspective, it's like, man, dude. I don't need that, but I right. but I get it from, from a pure movie's perspective, and I think that their final duel is satisfying in that regard, you know? Like, they gave Harry the, the kind of the Luke Skywalker moment from Return of the Jedi when he shows up at Jabba the Hutt's place, and all of a sudden, he can force choke guys and make the guards, like, you know, Jedi mind trick them, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my god, Luke is good now. Mm-hmm. They give Harry that moment. Where you know they're fighting up and down Hogwarts, and the, and the and the red jet is hitting the green jet of magic light, and Harry is somehow blocking Avada Kedavra. For, again, from a purely film-centric perspective, that would be satisfying.
0: Yeah, it's compelling that's a t- cinema. That's movie
1: closure. That's a very specific type of action movie, fantasy movie closure.
0: Yeah, it's visually arresting. Mm-hmm. It is choreographed in a way that, it, and because it is literally a dance, feels yeah. like a dance. You feel this union. I think there's a lot of overly overt imagery in that sense. Not only what you mentioned about, you know, their faces morphing. But, like, as each Horcrux is destroyed throughout the film and Voldemort is yeah, like his, feels, his yeah. decaying and cracking. And I see both sides of it, you know. If you know the story, you're like, well, not only is that... Not something I need. It's actually wrong. Like yeah. he does, he, he isn't doesn't supposed to know doesn't he know isn't it. supposed to feel it. But the other side of that is, well, if I don't have the full knowledge of the mythology and every single sentence and word in the story, I want to understand what's happening. And that helps me to understand yeah. it. So again, there are all sorts of different ways to consume these stories, and I think all of them are valid. You do miss a little bit more of that final conversation yeah. between them, you know, exchanging emotion and introspection for physicality is
1: a it's unfortunate but it's also it's a
0: choice certainly
1: I, yeah I, the book you know with that whole conversation it's almost more than defeating a foe it's owning him so completely that it, it, i'm not even sure what the word for
0: it is it's it, and it achieves two things we need to understand two things simultaneously okay. and with equal force how enlightened and wise harry is everything that he has learned and how understands
1: understands voldemort more completely than he could ever hope to understand and how
0: did he come to understand voldemort by understanding himself by understanding the things that actually matter to him and in his life and then the flip side is that voldemort doesn't understand it at all and that actually i think feels like what's missing a little more even than seeing harry's enlightenment which you know we can sense in ways both big and small, understanding Voldemort's failures, how hubris undoes him, how his arrogance and his greed, he kills himself. You know, Harry doesn't murder him. That's pretty crucial to understand that he walked himself into the fires of Mount Doom in many ways. And I don't know if that totally comes across, but you do ultimately still get the closure of The two of them, and in many ways, the film is much more direct about this because in the book, they are surrounded by watchers. They are circling each other animalistically, ritually almost, and they feel like it's just them, but Mm -hmm. they're in the center of the world. And that's, of course, kind of the point. But in the movie, it's they're isolated. They literally are alone with their struggle and the battle with each other that they have been locked in. And again, in a way that the film shows us so directly, literally locked into each other since Harry was a baby. And that is, you know— that is ultimately portrayed. And then portrayed.
1: Neville's ultimate killing of Nagini is, in a way, the thing that weakens him, that final step so that Harry's spell can turn Voldemort into confetti. And I, again, I understand if you don't know the whole background of these horcruxes and how
0: they work. And, and Neville's role as the, yeah, as the almost, almost chosen one the in almost chosen the history one. between him and Harry. One other bit of closure that we get that is important is... All these people's lives. What happens after? Shouts, Voldemort is not the end. They get married. Shouts to our makeup department, it's, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, 19 years later. Harry looks, they did a great job. It, I will say, is holding up less well in the 4K HD. <laughs> <HG laughs> That's right. Era? I forget. You have the 4K television. So i like, <laughs> It does still look. I watched good. it it's in a mere 1080, <laughs> 1080 feet. I do. I was appreciating the subtle touches, like Ron's belly, you know, yeah, little things like that, and Ginny's yeah. outfit and the bob hair. It's it's great. But seeing seeing our friends grown up with kids of their own, lives of their own, you know, they moved on to form families and find love and to keep living life. You know, that question I think in a fantasy story is always so present. Well, what happens after you win? And to just get a little snapshot of that. It's wonderful. It's It's beautiful. It's
1: a a real gift.
0: I personally
1: wanted Draco to look more haggard and beaten down. (laughs) It looked a little too
0: good. Oh, Draco. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's move on to number two, shall we? Yeah. The... Best book to movie changes and the worst book to movie changes. Let's start with the best. Let's sure. let's start with a little positivity. We'll run through a few here. One thing I liked is we have kind of a staggered opening. We get a few mini openings. Mm-hmm. You know, the film technically opens with the same shot that we have at the end of Deathly House Part right. One. You know, Voldemort at the, securing at the, tomb, the Elder yeah. One. And then we shift to this lingering, I think, very lovely really beautiful and moving shot of snape yeah. standing above apart separate yeah. looking over, down watching, watching, watching over, the over hogwarts and one of the, i one of the reasons i'm saying that it's a change is it's just by definition there's no part 2 of the book you know it's it's a new movie and so we need these opening notes and so it's just something that doesn't exist in the book and to get these glimpses you know, we're, we're always so grateful and so appreciative of being so deeply ingrained in Harry's perspective in the book but one of the things that the film allows is shifting away from that more often and in interesting ways where you're just with another character who Harry isn't seeing and I just think it's a really succinct crisp lovely way to prime us for everything that's coming with Snape's arc in that film and to set that mm-hmm. emotional tone. If you know what's coming and you see that, you're like, holy shit, that, that hits yeah. pretty hard, actually, yeah. and is really wonderful. And if you don't know, I think you're seeing that saying, oh, so mm-hmm. I got Voldemort, and then I immediately got Snape. Like He is going to factor into the end game in a really meaningful way here. So I really enjoyed that. Well, speaking of uh, stuff that's coming... Let's go to Ron and
1: Hermione. Uh, I I really like that we got to watch them go into the chamber, retrieve that basilisk fang. We got to see Hermione uh, kill the horcrux in mm-hmm. again one of the literally moistest scenes uh-huh. <laughs> of the movie franchise, yeah. laden with imagery. We never get that perspective in the book, so it's it's really fun to to see that. Um, and to be back in the chamber again, uh, to see like the basilisk now just a skeleton, Ron. Like, wouldn't you have to put like a glove on if you're gonna pull it out of the out
0: of the mouth? I guess as if it's not piercing his skin, yeah, it's okay. But like, so <laughs> pulling it out, jabbing it down,
1: <laughs> the, the water erupting all around. It's really something. It's really beautiful.
0: I really enjoyed that. One of the things that I. Like about that scene a lot. That is a change. Yeah, is that Ron and Hermione's first kiss occurs in private. It's great. Harry is not there watching, interrupting them, <laughs> saying, "Is this the moment?" It's it's a
1: wonderful freedom <laughs> that the movies enjoy. Obviously, yeah. uh, you know, we talk about this all the time. A perspective, uh, the way J.K. uses perspective in the books, and we're tied very tightly to Harry's perspective. Mm-hmm. Certainly by that time in the books, so everything that happens can only be viewed through his lens, through his being present at the scene. Right. It is really freeing to be able to see stuff that Harry's not, yeah, totally. not present at. Yeah, totally. And look,
0: the scene in the book is obviously wonderful. Yeah, and wonderful. And that signature mix of emotional heft and comedy mm. where we're rejoicing in seeing Ron and Hermione unite at last but also laughing as Harry's like, guys, there's literally yeah, a, war a war going on. A, does can it doesn't need to be right need, now. We need to go for that. That's great. Yeah. It does feel right, though, to see them on screen yeah. sharing that alone and it's just so lovely and charming the way they giggle after I I, I really like it I, I think that, that that change is very effective all around another change that I really love I love this oh god I want to thank the filmmakers oh, wow for showing me Grip Hook's dead corpse oh my. <laughs> Thank you for giving this me the clarity I needed. Thank you, Steve Cloves. <laughs> Thank you, David Yates. Here's the thing we don't know for sure in the book what Griphook's fate is. And he just and runs. That he scurries off. deserved to die.
1: This is bloodthirsty by <laughs> you.
0: He deserved to die. Yes, he's he's a traitor. He betrayed them. First of all, and I get. We've had this we've argument. Had this I'm not exactly, gonna have argument. I'm not gonna have it argument. <laughs> I delight in seeing delight. his festering corpse. Oh my God, the mad burn them all. <laughs> burn them all. <laughs> the Mad Queen is here. I'm here. I was. I'm less delighted to see Lavender Browns corpse? That's a... Unnecessary I <laughs> thought. It's very tough. <laughs> Again, fate unclear in the book. and The film is just like <laughs> Lavender was...
1: She dead. ...eaten by Fenrir Greyback and is dead. I should also mention that the dragon flambays many, many, many people <laughs> and goblins
0: in the escape. Yeah. It's unambiguous roasting going on. I support everything the dragon does. Not the dragon's fault. The dragon has been chained and abused and the dragon deserves freedom, fresh air. I am. And hey, listen, listen, if the dragon needs the tracks from the cart to crawl up to scale and evil goblins and wizards who would seek to thwart our friends are coming down one of those carts and the dragon knocks that cart astray so that those people Four goblins fall to their death. So be it. Shouts by the way to our guy Bogrod. Yeah, tough, tough. Who, beat, uh, who? Harry Imperioed. What do you think of the Imperio effect? By it, the way, quickly, I like it's it. like a fart that smells good. Yeah, it's kind of like I. I <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a great way to put it.
0: I liked it. I liked it. Um, it's like Harry <sniffs> hits Harry sniffing the air like when when Halo smells the d- 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 fillet of this salmon and so how much. <laughs>
1: Harry hits him with it twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bagrad in the throes of the Imperio, having a wonderful time, <laughs> delighting in his loss of agency, standing there as the dragon <laughs> wreathes him in flame. <laughs> I wish we could have got like a, a a longer reaction shot of Harry just being like, "Whoops."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is that I mean, kind I- of priceless moment when Ron and Harry and Hermione are all just like. Yeah, Ew, boy, what? Uh, and you can see like their their thoughts playing out on the screen. It's basically like. We all have wands. Should any of us have tried to stop that? I mean, it's kind of like parking
1: your car in a in a loading zone. You know, it's like you you have no one to blame for
0: Bagrod's death but yourself because you imperioed him and just had him kind of standing there. Again, I will just say that Bagrod, as one of the participants in the Clanker scheme of abusing the dragon, the deserved to be fucking roasted alive. Burn them all. Imperio fart. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, the dragon does bathe other characters in flame in the book. It's not as clear what the fates are, but yeah. who knows. Another change that I like is when Harry and co. arrive in the Room of Requirement after mm. Neville leads them through the passageway. I like that Harry immediately asks for help immediately brings all of his classmates in. Now, we can discuss, and we will discuss momentarily, the merits of Harry just sort of offering up the Horcrux information and the Hallows information throughout the film. But here, in this one case, I think dispensing with the, oh, what can I say? Oh, who can I tell? Oh, actually, no, we're not here for you guys. We're not here to fight. We're just here to do our own private thing, and then we're leaving, and just getting right to... You guys yes. can help me make this happen. Not going to tell you everything, right. but here's enough to go on. I like that. That makes sense to Why me. Why an orange? Hey? Some just, a Truly a moment there from Seamus yeah. where now for the rest of my life after doing binge mode, <laughs> I will only be able to think of you and your impression <laughs> of that line when I hear it. Hey, i right? <laughs> It's fabulous. I also like shortly thereafter, Luna helping Harry figure out that he needs... Yeah, I to like go that chat to the gray lady. That, I have this as well. Great. I, I think that Luna
1: commiserating with ghosts. Love that. I, it's it's very in character for her, a person who you know is often talking about things that it's unclear whether they exist or not, or whether other people can see them. And I, I just love that idea of uh, Luna taking the time to reach out to these totally. uh, to these spirits because she's just a person who's like on that wavelength already.
0: I, I thought that was delightful. Absolutely. It simultaneously speaks to her open-minded yes. nature and her spirit, but also I think reinforces how... Lonely and isolated, right. she can be, and how misunderstood she is by her peers. And it's that that moment when Helena says to Harry, you nor know, are you a friend of Luna?" Yeah, it's just like so. It says a lot. Beautiful, and that it, being a friend of Luna's would sort of sanction him in her mind. I just yeah. love that, and the way Luna says, "You know, it's obvious, isn't it?" We have to talk to someone who's dead. That just yeah. signature wit and insight, and that ability to see beyond the mundane that we expect from Luna. It's really wonderful. And then speaking of Helena, in that same sequence, I like. Her telling Harry in a coded, riddly way that is pretty compelling, but her telling him ultimately that it's in the room, that the diadem is in the room of requirement. Because in the book, obviously, Harry ultimately pieces together that the diadem is in the room of requirement when he passes a stone gargoyle stirring feebly on the ground, seeing that after the conversations that he's had about the diadem and objects of Ravenclaw's and what he might be searching for, triggers in his mind the memory of the bust in the Room of Requirement. He's piecing all that together. It takes place so firmly inside Harry's head and inside his memories that we could never get that version of it in the film in a way that made sense. And so I think this is an effective and poetic change, the way that she shares it with him. But it also, I think it's just something that audiences can accept more yeah. because for book readers you're with Harry every step of the way and you've spent the wait between Prince and Hallows theorizing on what the Horcrux could be and oh could it be this and could it be that and you know people who hatched on to the mention of that tiara-like object in the room requirement got really excited about think oh will Harry piece it together could that be it you don't have any of that in the movie you know you haven't seen this thing and so for her to just say to him This is where you need to go. Just makes sense. Back to Luna. Yes. Love Luna. In
1: the midst of the battle, Harry comes across Neville, who is, like, absolutely geeked on battle adrenaline. (laughs) The guy has just become, like, an oar warrior. And Harry's like, Neville, are you all right? And Neville is like, I'm doing great. Never better. I love this. I I think he says, I feel like I could spit fire. (laughs) And then he says, uh, Ha- you, you haven't seen Luna, have you? Mm-hmm. I'm mad for her. I think it's about time I told her since we'll probably both be dead by dawn. I ship
0: it, man. Yeah, I ship too. it. I ship it pretty hard. Me too. We should say, and this is, I guess, a small spoiler for anyone who <laughs> hasn't explored yeah, right. the world as funny, right, yeah. but they don't end up together. Right. You know, they marry different people. And so there's a little bit of a, wow, this is actually like legit not canon (laughs) thing that I think initially repels me. But ultimately, I also really (laughs) like this because I do also ship Neville and Luna. ship it! And while I am sensitive to the criticism from some people that it's absurd that basically 78% of the characters in this universe just marry people that they basically went to middle school with. Sure, of course. I also think, look, who else are they meeting? I mean, that's a, here's the thing. <laughs> and also, the thing. Neville, and Luna, they're, Neville and Luna have a beautiful bond, and their I mean, relationship is one of the real beating hearts of the story. And so I have, Listen, I beautiful. mean, this is clearly, this is, it, it's not just our characters. The criticism
1: stands, but this is wizarding culture, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, right. it's not just them. It's their parents. It's their grandparents. They all just kind of hook up with whoever it is they meet in school, and more often than not, that's the person they end up being with
0: forever. And to be clear, Neville will marry a classmate, right? Just a different one. (laughs) (laughs) Another change that I like... Let's hear it. I really enjoy those two quiet but lovely little moments that we get. Seeing Fred and George Mm. have that tender, what will prove to be their farewell, where... George says, "You okay, Freddie?" It's just like heartbreaking, especially knowing what's gonna come. And then Toxin Lupin, so they stand together well. and they reach for each other, and you see their hands like nearly brush, and just what that visual represents. I think about their relationship in particular. Yeah. You know, the idea that two people who are drawn together and came together but wasted a lot of time, and the film doesn't explore that part of their relationship but I think that one image gives us a lot of that you know reaching for each other ultimately at what will prove to be the end
1: I have that as well that and there is there's a duality there um, because it's them as the battle is beginning to kick off reaching for each other as they're looking out over the grounds as you said their hands barely touching the light from the spells hitting the shield charm like echoing against Mm them Um, and then there's that moment, Harry walking into the Great Hall, surveying the cost of the battle, yeah, and they're there yeah. on the stretchers next to each other, and their hands still reaching for each other. As That's their devastating image. Those two together, those two images together are just wonderful visual storytelling, and I really, really appreciated those moments.
0: I feel the same way. Seeing the Malfoys fully, like, I love. Like
1: cowards.
0: Because that feels true to what they would do. Yeah, like you're going to hang
1: around (laughs) with these people that, like, you have just been trying to kill. In
0: that moment in particular, they don't crave anything but the safety of being with each other. You know, that's what led Narcissa to make the choice that she made was just— I need to get back to my son. I will forsake everything else to get back to my son. And so, mm-hmm. seeing the three of them, and the, I think the film does a very good job of just showing us with a few glimpses of his face and fragments of his cracking voice, showing us how broken Lucius yeah. is at this point. And just this—the second that they're together, the second that they can,
1: they are—they're out. out. They're out.
0: I like that. And then f- my final best change. This might make me sound like dark and. Well, more so than usual. You've
1: already called for the death by fire of the race of goblins.
0: No, not the race of goblins. All the goblin employees of anyone who abused the dragon. So basically, wizards too. Everyone at Gringotts must perish by fire. Just fucking burn the whole building to the ground. Well, speaking of Gringotts, one moment I do love this when Harry's like, "I've got a lot of gold." I've got gold. Tons. It's, I got Tons gold. of it. I got gold, baby. I never share it, so I have so much of it. My last moment here. I love... <laughs> I love... I can't wait. For- seeing Snape cradling Lily's body mm. as Harry wails in the crib behind them. It is such a devastating image. It's one of the only things in the film's version of The prince's Tale that is an invention of in the movie. Obviously yeah. the way that scene is edited, you know, we get a lot of auditory snippets, we get flashbacks from other films. So it's stitched together and edited in a very different way than the book is. But that is one that is just like this is a thing we and Harry are seeing in the movie that we and Harry are are not seeing in the book that moment. And it is so Deeply, deeply sad to me. And I just, I love it. And I love the way that it's edited to build up to that point. You know, him in front of Godric's Hollow. And then we cut back to other stuff. Him walking up the stairs, cut back to other stuff. The glimpse of the feet, cut back to other stuff. And then to just see him, like, rocking her in his despair. It's just beautiful. All right. Worst book-to-movie changes. We're going to attempt to be judicious in our selections here. I want to make a macro point here, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the choices that we're going to highlight will stem from this. And ultimately, I say this as a a justification and a defense of the film, or at least an effort (laughs) at that, that I've been attempting to put myself in this headspace as much as anything. We're not in Harry's head. In yeah. the movie, we just we aren't, yeah. and we can't be. And while I mourn that loss, like the loss of an actual person that I love, because I think that those moments, those chapters, those passages are absolute masterclass writing and craftsmanship from J.K. Rowling, and some of my not only favorite things in the Harry Potter books, but my favorite things in literature and storytelling. Period because we cannot get that here. Yeah. A lot of what we're missing are those moments and it happens right away. So my first one is you know the the wand maker and the shell cottage chapters. It's boiled down to yeah. just a couple quick very direct <laughs> overly direct conversations. This is Harry's big choice.
1: The moment of tr- the fork in the but road. We don't
0: feel we don't feel that at that all. All. At all. That it is a choice, that but, it is the, the the choice that not only determines everything that comes after, but everything built up to that point of what the nature of choice symbolizes in that story. There's none of that. And again, as you
1: say, we can't be in Harry's head. And as you have previously noted, this is one of those moments that uh, bears the weight of the sins of omission of the past. It's just, you know, how, how do you do it in a way that honors the book you really can't because that material is
0: just doesn't exist. It will when we readapt Harry Potter. Get at us, crackle streaming series. <laughs> Amazon, give us your money. Hulu, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> One particular thing from that sequence that I think is worth highlighting: Olivander knowing about the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Harry asking, and then the response that he gets to that is troubling. You know, we talked in the first movie pod about how we see the Deathly Hallows imagery you know, in Grigorovich's shop and how the film is just kind of handling the idea of the, not even the secrecy around it, but the awareness around yeah. it. How few people know this story and then know the legend behind it and our questers and what that means and how the symbol means different things to different people. Some people think it's Grindelwald's sign. Yeah. Some people, like Xenophilius, think it means that you are after this pursuit and that someone else who understands that is akin to you in a way that nobody else in the universe yeah. is like there's none of that and olivander knowing i think compromises something fundamental about what the deathly Hallows are supposed to represent in the story and specifically what harry's relationship to them represents you know i think it's fair to ask if at the end of the movie It's totally clear to everyone who's only seen the movies that Harry has mastered the Hallows and what that might represent. I'm going to say it's not at all. I would say that you probably don't even think about it. I mean, that's the thing. Like— Technically, you have the information, right? Yeah, we know he-, he masters the Elder Wand. He has the Invisibility Cloak. We see him use the Resurrection Stone. Right. That's one of the things, of course, that's missing from King's Cross is yeah. the download about the Hallows and Harry properly being mastered. Why was
1: it was important for him to discover them in the manner that he discovered them so that he could find them at a time that was right for him to find them so that he was not desirous, covetous of them, and it would not lead him astray in the same way that it did right. Dumbledore.
0: All of that, got there. But you can't have it there if every fucking Joe Schmo on the street knows, knows what the about it. Are. Yes. So Th- the fact a- that
1: the fact that the information is out there mm-hmm. essentially really changes structurally the way the Hallows work within the framework of the larger tale mm-hmm. because it's not a secret society so to speak. It's not a thing that, it's not, as you said, a thing for questers. It's just something that people know about. You then come to the uh, the natural conclusion, if you really think about that, why aren't people looking for them? Right. Why, aren't, why aren't there just hordes of wizards and witches trying to find these things?
0: And again, how that plays into the choice Harry has to make in the books and the absence of that choice in the film and what that choice represents about his character and what he Values and what he has learned to prize. Just, I I, I really miss all of that. Another one, another worst change. The whole Aberforth, yeah, this is bad. Hogshead sequence Uh, specifically. This is bad. We've been hunting Horcruxes. Yeah. Why would you hold on?
1: You're not supposed to. Number one, we're not supposed to telegraph that. That's what we're doing. Because if Voldemort figures that out. He will
0: adequately protect his Horcruxes. Now, by that point in the film, Voldemort knows. Still. But still. It's it's Harry's refusal to let go of the secrecy (laughs) is in many ways one of his firmest tethers to Dumbledore and to the lessons that Dumbledore passed down. So it's just very weird. But again, listen. They're making a two-hour, ten-minute movie. Yeah. Got to make some choices. Okay. Here's what's much more costly. And this, again, goes back
1: to the sins of omission that we talked about previously.
0: Kind of. I mean, yes— but this isn't an example of where it was, you know, whoa, Half-Blood Prince and Gobbled of Fire and Order of the Phoenix and things that were bad choices there that, that then led to this. The Ariana Grindelwald stuff is in Deathly Hallows, the book. I mean, it mostly should be in these films. It's just not in these films. Yeah. We see this in two primary places. It's obviously throughout both movies, but the two scenes where you feel it most, this scene yeah. and King's, King's Cross. Cross. There is very, very, very little bordering on none of the Ariana backstory we get and there is like a portrait. We get a portrait and a, um, a couple mentions, but no yeah. no discussion of what happened to her. Right. And no Grindelwald backstory with Dumbledore. We see a picture of him yeah. in the first movie. There's no discussion here. We do get a very clear sense that Aberforth does not care right, for his right. brother. And the overall emotional notes and takeaways do come through. But the history, the life-altering history that led to that is just is absent here. Yeah, as you say, they're trying to
1: impute those things um, by kind of hinting at them, hinting at the trauma beneath the surface. The problem is you need to do more than just gesture at mm-hmm. traumas in, in Dumbledore's life by this point. The reason it's necessary to reveal those things is it brings into relief— the complexity of Dumbledore as a man yes, and the pain he was carrying his whole life and the reasons behind the decisions that he made with the way he communicated with Harry, the way he guided Harry, the way he was there and wasn't there at different times, none of that is explained because you don't understand what is motivating Dumbledore, why he's turning down ministry jobs, why he's at Hogwarts in the first place. Right? You get none of that. You don't understand it. And so, therefore— What you're left with is a Dumbledore who's, and this is like going to sound uncharitable, but it's kind of true, is just kind of like a stereotypical wizard in a movie. He's just Mm -hmm. a a cutout, a character, uh, you know, just like a very thin character. You don't understand what makes him tick.
0: Yeah, all of the complexities, all of the richness that make him not only a character that so many people cherish, but a real symbol of what makes this story so special, which is that... Actually subverts and circumvents a lot of those quintessential fantasy tropes. And Dumbledore is like the poster character for that, for getting this nuance and these layers that ultimately make him not only more relatable, but worth investing in in a way that he wouldn't be if he were actually just this godlike figure. You know, the fact that he made mistakes, the fact that— Regret defined his life as much as his own ability. That is something that every single person can latch onto and learn from and that Harry ultimately really yes. does. We, we learn in Deathly Hallows that every single thing that Dumbledore has ever said to Harry, whether it was about choice, whether it was about love, the central pillars on which the story is built. All of that was informed by his own experience. Yeah.
1: Putting on the ring is a great example of this in the in the in the prince's tale scene. We get the little flashback
0: right. of why is he pretty. doing it? Why that?
1: is he doing it? We have no idea. He just, I guess, wanted to put it on. That's a great point. That was the one that just was like, ugh, killed me because learning why he put it on, it just humanizes him in such a real way, brings him down to earth in an absolutely relatable way, this godlike figure who actually was quite fallible, had weaknesses.
0: And I think especially because of the way that the film leans in so heavily to the likenesses, the similarities, the connections Mm -hmm. between Harry and Voldemort, you really miss exploring the likenesses and the shared history between Harry and Dumbledore. You know, those moments in the book where Harry is so devastated and actually feels betrayed that he didn't know that, Dumbledore also lived in Godric's Hollow, that they came from the same place that their loved ones, their family members, are buried in the same graveyard. You know, that's from the first film, obviously, but it carries over. It's the same thing that we're talking about here. Not knowing that these objects that Harry mastered were things that Dumbledore coveted and that led him, among other things, led him astray. The way that Dumbledore's own relationship to power informs how he thinks about Harry and why he views him as such a worthy hero. And that is crucial because what Harry represents as a hero is one of the hallmarks of this story. He doesn't want to rule. He doesn't want that burden. You know, we talk about this all the time. It's a recurring theme of ours, but the idea of the reluctant hero ultimately being the most worthy one and the most capable hearing harry and dumbledore talk about that in king's cross we don't get it in the movie it's so meaningful in the book and the the aberforth scene which we're talking about here it really it's a huge groundwork laying moment because harry has kind of arrived at this point in the story where despite his doubt he still ultimately decided to stick to Dumbledore's plan, right. despite every time throughout the story where he said, why couldn't he tell me more? Why do I always have to ask? And then why, when I ask, does he still not give me enough? I still trust him. I still trust in what
1: he taught me. And then with this almost like a, a bone that's regrown, a hammer blow comes in the form of Aberforth's tale of their whole history yes. to really test that shrink of resolve. It's it's a great moment,
0: and so when you get a line like "I'm not interested in what happened between you," <laughs> that and your is crazy. That's wild. It's just very tough. He's, and I don't, I don't use the word obsessed in a, in a bad way or a charged way. I just want to express the strength of the hold that this has uh, over him. He wants to understand who Dumbledore is. I'll go desperately. I'll, I'll go a step further.
1: That I think more than any other line in the movie felt like a, a, a line that was directed at book readers specifically, and it felt a little fuck you ish to me because it's kind of like. Yes, we know, Mm -hmm. but we're not doing it. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then just don't do it. (laughs) Don't gesture (gasps) towards that. I I felt that line to be unnecessary. That's all.
0: Yeah, it's it's just contrary to the character. Very tough. Another change, and this isn't even necessarily just one moment. It's almost like a sequence. The sacking of Severus Snape replacement. So this includes... Snape summoning the whole school to yes. try to find Harry. Then the great, I put on Gryffindor robes, but it's really me, Harry Potter reveal. Right. <laughs> and I think you've got some uh, actual problems and then the
1: order just, like
0: files <laughs> right. out behind him. Yes. And then the differences in the McGonagall-Snape interaction and the related... McGonagall-Harry actions, which that's one of the things I, I want to focus on. You know, in the book, the nature of the lost diadem chapter and then leading into the sacking of Severus Snape, we get these wonderful Harry-McGonagall moments together where you really learn a lot about their bond, what informs it, what that translates to in action. And then when Harry and McGonagall come across Snape, obviously Harry is under the cloak at that point, and we see this interaction between McGonagall and Snape. And I, I like how private those things are. Yeah. You know, so they're taking place in the corridors. It's, it, the movie basically inverts a lot of those choices. Things that are supposed to happen in front of a lot of people happen in private. Things that are supposed to happen in isolation happen in front of huge crowds. And it didn't necessarily feel like a moment for aggressive theater. Yeah, Like, I like the fact that that conversation and that confrontation is happening in the shadows because it maintains the mystery of building up toward the ultimate reveal. Along those lines,
1: (laughs) Megalian— I know what you're going to (laughs) say. Just dismissing all the Slytherins, (laughs) sending them straight to the dungeons is— There goes any hope of of uh, inter house unity. I guess we're just someone wasn't listening to the sorting hat (laughs) song. We're just gonna (laughs) give up on that and whole cloth get rid of the entire student body of Slytherin house.
0: Okay, sincerely don't want to be overly dramatic, but let me pose this to you as a thought experiment. (laughs) You're a person. You identify as a Slytherin. It would be tough. And you see that.
1: It'd be very tough. That's a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling. I mean, li- listen, as we've said, Slytherin does not really cover itself in glory in, that's, in the scene that that's taken from in the book. That said, as Phineas points out, Slytherin does its part. Played its part. Absolutely. And Sluggy to just in his emerald pajamas. Give give the students who would wish to fight in our age the chance to decide if that's what they want to do, but to dismiss the entire student body out of hand is tr-
0: truly crazy. A choice. Very contrary to a lot of the messaging. <laughs> it really is. Contrary not to messaging, but to logic and all understanding of how many people are in the wizarding world, how come there are 5 billion people in the Yeah, Baltimore's where did these army? people come from? <laughs> I would like where to play a numbers from? game here for a moment. Where did they come from? I, I don't know. It's really wild. It's the clickbait of army building. Like, where did those numbers come from? Are those unique visitors? Is it page views? What are we talking about It looks like uh,
1: the the medieval Total War video game. Like, (gasps) when when Neville is on the bridge Mm. and the shield finally breaks, Mm -hmm. and then there is uh, a shot from the reverse angle of this Huge, like Rock regions, festival <laughs> crowds surging forward. It is
0: wild. It's like there's two thousand people there. Where did they come from? It's it's so many people that it's easy to imagine when Bradley Cooper was making a Stars Born, he's like, I need that size crowd yeah. <laughs> for Allie's first moment. Like, it's just unbelievable. And then, you, since you just mentioned Neville on the bridge. Like to just spend the what yeah, I consider the requisite fifteen seconds talking about the film's choice to turn Neville into a he goes full bomber. He, he goes full first blood on
1: like a lot of human beings.
0: <laughs> what is that? Now granted, Seamus is the one who is like <laughs> Has the affinity for pyrotechnics. You know, his him setting things on fire and exploding things has been a running gag throughout all of the film. So in that sense, that paying off in some fashion is, I guess, (laughs) cute. But Neville playing a real role in blowing up by our count, like hundreds of people is
1: terrible. (gasps) And related to (laughs) that— Moment we talked about before when Harry encounters Neville and Neville's like, I feel like a split fire, this is the greatest. This is a moment of death and sorrow yeah. and tragedy. Yeah. People are dying. Children are being killed. Yes. And Neville's like, this is the greatest moment of my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the Neville vibes are really interesting throughout the film. Yeah. What do you how do you feel about his speech when Harry is still playing dead? And Neville steps forward and makes his hold, you know, it it doesn't matter because Harry gave us the strength to keep fighting. That whole vibe. It was adequate.
1: I don't feel negatively towards it. I think certainly if you're going to make the choice of uh, Harry revealing himself right away rather than uh, keeping himself hidden and therefore um, you really get to see how inspiring he remains in death Mm -hmm. to— The Defenders of Hogwarts, which is an amazing moment. They're willing to fight to the death knowing the cause is likely lost because they just believe in Harry's example so much. You're not going to get that in the movie. So having
0: Neville spell it out right there Mm -hmm. uh, is adequate. That entire sequence is really peak reaction shot filmmaking. So many, no matter which part— of the army, which part of the crowd they're panning. It's just also like our dude, Chris Rankin, Percy Weasley. Love him. Our good friend, Chris. After we hit, we got the chance to interview him at LeakyCon. And after speaking to him about, you know, the idea of standing next to characters you know aren't going to get cut out of the scene so that you can be in it. I was thinking about that <laughs> a lot watching it. It's like, he's really always right near Ron and Hermione. very, very, very smart. Very smart. <laughs> Okay, a couple more. Uh, we briefly mentioned this earlier, but the physical manifestation of Voldemort's decay and descent closer toward death. So you see like the back of his head and his neck, his skin kind of crackling. There's a close-up shot of the Elder Wand splitting as he tries to use it. Now, again, totally understand why the filmmakers choose to visually and overtly represent the magic at play and what is happening so that you can't miss it yeah. if you don't have the entire mythology and the backstory to fall on. In this particular case, though, because the, one of the key points that shows how far gone Voldemort is, how hopeless he really is, is that he can't even yeah. feel. When literal pieces of his soul are being destroyed, yes. this actually felt like not just a change that was going to facilitate the clarity of the message in a certain medium, but a change that was actually contrary to the point. So yeah. I struggle with that a bit. So a
1: scene which I think lends itself, at least in my mind's eye, and there are several of these, lends itself in my mind's eye really well to the screen because Harry is there, um, and it's a shocker, is Fred's death. Yes,
0: um, which occurs off-screen in the film, tragically.
1: Extremely, tre- now, it's still a gut punch when Harry walks into the Great Hall and he's, uh, you know, seeing shrouds being put over people and he sees Lupin and Tonks and he sees Fred. But it's just like that, I feel like they really missed out on a special moment there. I, I mean, if you're going to have the battle scenes, and Harry's directly involved mm-hmm. in a lot of it,
0: have that in there. Tangentially related to that, we're missing Percy's redemption. Yeah. And that's obviously a big part of Fred's death. and the absolutely heart-wrenching nature of that is when Percy just drapes himself across his brother's body and and will not let go, will not get up. Even as spells are flying over them, the walls are crumbling, spiders are crawling into the corridors. All that matters to him is trying to give his brother something in death that he failed to at the end of his life, which is protection, you know, the shield of love. And it is another instance of where, because as as a movie we're not inside Harry's head we just miss something there even if they had tried to do it but I think that they can convey that much like Harry's reaction to Sirius's death where a scream a cry an anguished expression there are ways to convey the horror of what that death in that moment means even without having a paragraph that says you know the world had ended the movie really could have set the stakes with that
1: scene had it appeared on the screen
0: Let's get to the, the big ones. Let's, yeah. let's go through in order The Prince's Tale of the Forest again in King's Cross. Sure. I would argue that the order in which they appear chronologically is also the order in which they were successfully adapted. So <laughs> The Prince's Tale, I think, I, is the quite best good. movie. Scene. I thought it's quite good. Yes. That, to me, is an example of where, as people who love the books, we're just going to say— Stubbornly, no matter what. Oh my God, I just wish I got every word, every sentence, every scene, every second of it. I just want it all. You know, there's just there's more in there that because it is such a perfect creation in the book, you really do just wish you could get every second of it. It's not a case at all of what is there being bad. It's just that you wish you had more. You know, this is an
1: interesting point because I think a lot of why that scene works, even though there's not a lot of it there. Well, there's there's a there's Parts you miss that are you definitely notice are missing. Mm-hmm. Um That said, Alan Rickman Fabulous. is just a, on yeah. a tour de force level on this. So he just crushes it. And I think, you know, not to uh, take uh, stray shots at our dude Gambon, <laughs> but I think if Gambon was like as locked in as Rickman to the character, mm-hmm. maybe we'd think of King's Cross a little differently. It's a great point. You know, like if he could have... Conveyed more emotional. Conveyed more of the the grief that he had, even if it's not on the page. Conveyed that part of the character somehow. I think we we'd feel differently about Kings Cross, you know, because Rickman just he gives you all of it. He gives you all of it, even if it's not all there in in those scenes. It's a great
0: point. Also, the way that that sequence is structured and cut together is really cool. It's it's impressive how what is there that is new. Mm -hmm. is almost always then connected to something that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Visually, with sound cues, we stitch and piece together an entire cohesive narrative. I guess the contrarian view would say instead of showing me like shots of Harry writhing from Order of the Phoenix that I've seen before, give me any of 15 lines you want to choose from that we then just don't get at all. But it's still a pretty good scene. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I thought it was was good. Just one more of it. The Forest again. Yeah, this is. This is maybe, of all the chapters in the book, the hardest one to bring to life in film in a way that would perfectly honor what's on the page. And so, again, it's not even a matter of—
1: it's so dependent on so many things that have happened before and Harry's inner journey, his emotional journey, his life journey, the things that he's learning and the order he's learning these things in.
0: And um, it, yeah, I think it's just really hard. I mean, he's literally the, some of the most agonizing, beautiful moments in that chapter are him just thinking about and observing the own Beating of his heart, that, yes. You know, the 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 feel of his breath, the right. way that his brain is operating. Literally, just thinking about what it means to be alive, right. knowing that the end is near. I think that uh, you know one
1: of the things that most annoys me about this is just him telling them that part is what a, he's going to so, do. So like,
0: that was going to be what I said, which yeah. is like there's some things that maybe you just couldn't do in the movie, right. but then that. The choice to actually have him interact with ron and hermione and have a conversation with them about what he's about to do that's an actual that's a deliberate change yeah. as opposed to just the byproduct of what medium you're operating in yeah. not a choice i support yeah, i
1: don't, I don't <laughs> support it either and neither do i support uh, hermione's i'll come with you for various reasons okay
0: not that i d- let's hear it i like that line here's the thing <laughs> It's a shocking uh, here, here, no, stop, stop. A, <laughs>
1: Here's the thing <laughs> Hermione. That's a will come with you at that point. That's a will come with but you. But
0: that's on Ron, not Hermione. Why isn't he saying anything? That's part He's of what just i just shocked. Like. Uh,
1: I mean that's a I'm sorry, but that's a that's a will come with you. Come on.
0: oh my god your whole thing about how hermione always has to be worrying about ron it's like ron step up and fucking do the thing and i love ron i say that as a ron enthusiast but she's her own person she has her own relationship with harry i thought i found that moment touching no but beyond that
1: they're a trio they're a team they're like they've been through it all together
0: but that's why nothing's stopping ron from saying no. Me too. <laughs> I'll also come with
1: you. It's just weird that he told—like, that's not something that Harry would
0: do. Yes, that's, that's really the thing. So the passage from the book, in, in case anyone listening isn't familiar, is basically Harry's walking past the Great Hall, and he, he looks in, and, and he doesn't see—crucially, does not see—Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Luna— any of the people he loves. And the quote is, he felt he would have given all the time remaining to him for just one last look at them, but then would he ever have the strength to stop looking it was better like this. And it is so crushing to read that and to think about what it feels like for him in that moment to know that he's not going to get to say goodbye to his best friends in the world, to the people who he loves and who love him and who have stood by him every step of the way. Because if he did, if he had that moment with them, it would be impossible to do what he has to do to find that strength and that courage to then make his sacrifice. It's just, a, it's a fundamental change emotionally. So that's, yeah. that's tough. Um, and then, you know, Harry on his march into the forest in the book, He that's when he tells Neville to kill the snake. So that obviously yeah. plays out differently. And I, I really, I really enjoy that sequence of him not having that moment with Ron and Hermione and then choosing to have a conversation with Neville. I think it reinforces how Neville's role, while fundamental, is very different right. in Harry's life and in the story. King's Cross. We've talked about this a lot already, so we don't have to go too deep here, but
1: I I mean like I will never get over Harry being like what do I do? What should you know like what is it I should do and Dumbledore just kind of like grinning at him and giving him like a peace out wave and just
0: leaving. So your issue there is more with Dumbledore's reply. My issue is with Harry asking the question. I mean, all of it, of course. But I, my thing is, like, this is Harry's—this is apotheosis for him, right. right? This is where he, as the hero, achieves newfound understanding and clarity and enlightenment. And he's putting everything together. Now, of course, Dumbledore's providing crucial information, but Harry has leveled up in I, every respect, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I get it, but
1: here's my issue structurally with that. So Harry asks, Dumbledore leaves, he comes back to life. Then we don't get the substance of that leveling up. We don't understand that he knows all about the Elder One and all this stuff until he does the download with his friends at the end after that. Well,
0: that's terrible,
1: yeah. It's like, (laughs) if you're going to—it's just so removed from the moment. I just don't understand why you wouldn't have it in there. Like, have Dumbledore walk him through it. But Dumbledore doesn't explain that to him in King's Cross in the book. I get it, but he, like, have Harry— realize it himself there in that moment like realize stuff
0: right the groundwork for Harry explaining it to Voldemort comes from Harry and Dumbledore discussing the one not the specific oh I'm the master of this reveal but yeah they're not talking about anything I mean I find myself watching that scene and feeling ultimately just grateful that we get a couple of the gems from the chapter that some of it's in there you know when he says you wonderful boy you brave brave man when Harry asks where would the train take him and Dumbledore just says on you know we get the do not pity the deadline and crucially we get it slightly amended but at least we get a version of the why should that mean that it is not real line here's some of the stuff we don't get that is not just fundamental to this chapter this moment but to the entire series Mm -hmm. we don't get any discussion of basically how and why harry isn't dead Like Voldemort taking Lily's blood into his body, thus tethering Harry to life as long as Voldemort lived. The idea of the blood magic, the sacrifice, and basically how Lily's love saved Harry because Voldemort could not recognize the value of it. It's a true deus
1: ex machina in the movie, the movie version, because he just comes back to life and we don't have any idea how.
0: I think they are hoping that you will just settle for the curse killed that the horcrux and not the boy but right you need in a successful fantasy story to actually understand the inner workings of the magic and that is just it's not explained and not only is the magic not explained but because the magic isn't explained we don't get to really luxuriate in the symbolic significance of it we also as we briefly discussed earlier don't get dumbledore's backstory or confession we don't get this Huge breakthrough of a moment where he finally lays himself bare and reveals his heart and his soul and all of the good and bad and the darkness to Harry, where he finally shows his full self to somebody for the first time ever. No discussion of Ariana, no discussion of Grindelwald, no discussion of Dumbledore's own past with the Deathly Hallows, no discussion of Dumbledore's personal relationship to power or thus his view on Harry and power and what makes. Harry's such a worthy hero. It's yeah, Just not there.
1: Not getting Dumbledore open up to Harry in that in that really raw emotional way is just—it's very tough. I mean, that is—that's the whole series right mm-hmm. there. That's their <laughs> whole, that's their whole relationship. So
0: to not have that is—it's a tragedy. I also just find it—it's confusing to me because when I heard that the, it was going to be split into two movies. It's like, to me, it, I think, oh, right. this you, is why. More space so, for that. Yes, more space for all of the payoff at the end. Not so that we can then segue into a however many minutes long, mm-hmm. like, Wally the robot's skydance, but <laughs> Harry and Voldemort and weird. Like, just very tough. Moving on. Voldemort's entire vibe... After he walks with Mm. his army from the forest to the castle to present Harry's dead body. He's like giggling. He's hugging Draco. That was
1: weird. I I will say the one thing I liked is his reaction to Neville's speech, which was like seemed almost like delighted at the precociousness of this boy he was about to kill. That I thought was fine. The rest of it. Yes, I agree. Like the hugging Draco is no. (sighs) Does like, does not strike me as a, a physical
0: touchy feely person. Not much of a hugger. Much to Bella's chagrin. Yes. Really weird. Just really weird stuff. Bizarre. <laughs> it is fun to watch Ray finds like chew the scenery, but it's and just he's chewing the. Sh-
1: I think that they. It feels like they were like, "Yo, get it. your money's worth. Here. <laughs> get every inch of the of the screen on so this."
0: So strange. And then so that brings us to the final Harry. Voldemort Showdown and the mechanics of it, how it doesn't play out in front of everyone, like the, just the physicality of it is obviously very different. He's like literally slapping yeah, and there's kicking like, Harry.
1: There's like like wrenching at each other's faces and which like he's like clawing
0: at Harry's eyes. It just is,
1: yeah, very
0: no. What do you think of the moment when Harry says, Come on, Tom, let's finish this the way we started it together and then grabs him and f- falls off the side of the building? <laughs> I
1: mean, let's, well, let's, <laughs> I like that line. I do like that line. I like the line. I'm also unsure of what it means in the context of their relationship. This is in no way the way they started it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the movie's one line snazzy version of right. the we prophecy. Ham- right. We need a hammer like line. Yeah. yeah. Actually leaning into the language of the prophecy and how that has hung over both of them. Of course, another example of a thing that Voldemort can't move beyond that Harry has actually learned to grow beyond. Yeah part of what we miss in not having an actual conversation take place between the characters is that we don't get to see Voldemort learn the truth that's, about Snape. That's some of the best Voldemort dialogue in that
1: scene. You know, like he's just he just reveals so much of his smallness and his vileness when he says, uh, you know, oh, but he had moved on for whatever. He, he desired her. He
0: desired her, nothing more. Right. And then also just the way he says, well, it doesn't matter. You yeah. know, then he he being Dumbledore in that case might as well have just handed me the wand. And yeah. like, it's we get so many beats where we see how flawed his understanding is. And we we unfortunately don't get that here. We also don't get, as you noted, Harry explaining about the Wand's mastership to Voldemort. Yeah. His explanation comes later to Ron and Hermione and to the viewers. But we don't get to see that moment where Voldemort Understands, or maybe more crucially, fails to understand still how he has miscalculated. And, and one of the
1: things I really love about that scene in the books is those moments of doubt mm-hmm. that flash across Voldemort's face when Harry is playing on the fear, not playing specifically, mm-hmm. but is certainly saying things that play on the fear that Voldemort has that maybe Harry does have some kind of magic that he doesn't understand. Right. Could it be? Could it it possibly be? You know, because he is such a fearful figure in the book. You know, he's motivated by his fear of dying, his fear of death. He's so afraid of death that he's willing to shatter his soul to evade it. He's afraid of sharing power with any other member of his group. So those are really wonderful moments when you really get the feeling that
0: if only for a moment Voldemort doubts. Right. And you don't get that here. I miss it. Yeah. Love doubt. What we do get instead is Voldemort turning into confetti. Yes.
1: Oh! Voldi fetti Like looking at him, at his wand in and the head.
0: we don't see. So, the, you know, the elder wand yeah. flips through the air. It moves toward Harry. We don't see Av- the Avada Kedavra curse actually rebound and hit him. Yeah. So what? Yeah. there's a way to interpret that scene, I, I think, where it's like, oh, so Harry murdered him. Right. Which is not what happens. Yeah. I mean, I guess
1: the way I kind of always...
0: A bookend of Harry murdering Coral and Sorcerer's Stone. They already,
1: like, flambayed uh, 50 goblins down at Gringotts.
0: (gasps) I mean, I think that
1: the way I kind of interpreted it was that in the movie universe, Voldemort was so weakened by the destruction of Mm -hmm. the final Horcrux that... A simple defensive spell like Expelliarmus was all it took to
0: really shatter him right for good. Again, it's just to me the poetry of him I agree of it, his yes. own curse rebounding, rebounding on, on, him. on him because he once again didn't take the time or show the interest or or value in any way not only his foe, but the magic and the love at play yeah. where his foe is concerned. Who Whose love is protecting whom? You know, we don't get anything, obviously, also about yeah. Harry's sacrifice and the mirror to yeah. Lily's and his sacrifice protecting the other people. <sighs> and all
1: because he wanted to make some kind of point about his own dominance. How many times over the course of the book did he stop people from doing stuff because they might kill Harry? Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't, his death would not come at his hand, thereby proving his true dominance over right. this this boy. And that, in the end, is the thing that fucked him over. Right. Among many other things. Uh, it's just so beautiful. The symmetry is beautiful. And to not have that, again, very tough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Last couple. Just a small thing I miss at the end is seeing Harry chat with Dumbledore's portrait in the headmaster's office. I really love that scene in the book. And that's absent entirely it would have been really nice to see that I think especially given how condensed King's Cross is that could have carried a lot of weight yeah. in the film getting that moment and then finally Harry's snapping the elder wand <laughs> I I I don't understand that first of all just if we want to go straight timeline here yeah. fix your own wand first right he <laughs> didn't do that in the movie at all but come on. To me, that always felt like let's prevent questions about a spinoff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if we leave the wand in play, everyone's always going to ask us forever about it. Let's break it in half. Yeah. Weird. Number three, the extremely gobbled fire voice. I love magic. Award for best use of, depiction of, introduction of a magical item, place, thing,
1: ability. Um. I agree with most of yours. I'm going to go. My fr- my top one is "Pier Totem Locomotor." It's great. I've always, I've always wanted, wanted to use that spell. <laughs> it's really wonderful, I, and you know, just like the idea. Um, the, one of the things I love about the Battle of Hogwarts um, in the books is the idea that the castle uh, is defending itself with every fiber of its being. Yeah, you know, the paintings, the bricks, the statues. Uh, the people within are just fighting tooth and nail and brick and mortar and lumber against the power of Voldemort, and so to really see that transferred to the screen in the form of like all all the suits of armor marching. To yeah, the it's bridge, awesome. It's really really awesome.
0: I mean, it's a visually very compelling film you know obviously anything that's heavily cgi based how well will it hold up over time is probably a question but it looks cool and i remember do do you remember the poster that was one of the main like marketing devices for the film it was it was a it was a picture of hogwarts on fire yeah and it said it all ends here and i just was like i actually i bought it i bought it i was like this is wow you know i just can't wait to see this come to life and all of it just looks great. It's very arresting and compelling. I agree with you about it. And also with the statues, not only that idea of the castle defending itself, but like how it hits all of your senses. You know, yeah. it looks—you feel it. You feel the thrum. You hear
1: it. Yeah. It's just wonderful. And there, there's that moment when—before that, when McGonagall is like, okay, let's prepare the defenses. And it's just a frenzy. People running in all directions. And you see the portraits running to oh, the yeah. other portraits, the dogs and the portraits bounding between frames— I love that stuff. Absolutely love. Because it's to me, it's like, as, as I've said numerous times, just give me more magic. Yes. Give me more magic. I love any of the magic. Well,
0: that's why this is a, a fun category, yeah. and especially for, for this movie, because we do actually get a, a, lot, a of lot of new magic. magic. Yeah. You know, seeing the Gemino curse I love this. in the Lestrange vault is awesome. Now it wasn't burning them. <laughs> no, we don't get the... Flagrante curse, right. the skin boiling, skin right. melting one, but it's really cool to see the Gemino. Also, neat to see both sides of the two-way mirror. Yeah, that, I like that, that a one lot. Sequence in the in the Hog's Head is so cool. I love that.
1: Uh, Fiend fire, pretty cool. Looks great. Looks I for, mean, I, bad beat for the room requirement there, but it looks great. I also liked. Um, I also like the way that Goyle was like he ca- oh, yeah. casts it and he's trying to shake figure out it, it off to, his wand how to
0: put it out and it just throws the he, wand away he's like well that's it <laughs> before they get there the 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 whole magic of Ariana's yeah. portrait and the tunnel you know this is something we talked about in the book yeah. but like how does that work you know yeah. and learning just in that quick snapshot that the room of requirement is still doing different things yeah. and that things like portraits that we've seen a lot throughout these films can still surprise you yeah. that's really neat and then you know we got to actually see Harry use the Resurrection Stone. Yeah. We had obviously spent time in the prior movie learning about the Resurrection Stone, but seeing that magic, even in truncated form in the film, it's still one of the most emotionally breathtaking yes. sequences in oh. the entire series, and it's just really wonderful to see that brought to life. Number four.
1: Mm. that he was their friend! Award for
0: Most Effective Snapshot of Teen
1: Angst or Romance. Some good candidates here. Fewer than in other films, but there's some. I've already mentioned Neville proclaiming his love for Luna. It's a great one. What do you have?
0: I love when the trio arrives yeah. in the Room of Requirement and then Ginny arrives. Yeah. I have, of course, no idea how Ginny or Luna or any of the people who are not right. supposed to be there are. Why are, are they there? Leaving That's fine. that aside for a moment. When Ginny comes into view. And she says, Harry. <laughs> and Daniel Radcliffe has really perfected by this point that kind of like slack jawed, I definitely have a boner right yeah. now because I just saw a girl face. She says, hi there. Right. Like they're in the middle of a war. Yeah. And those two definitely just want to fuck. It's incredible. And then we get the comedic relief from Ron because you know he sort of like smiles and lifts his hand like he thinks Ginny's right. coming to say hi to him. And then he says, six months, she hasn't seen me. And it's like, I'm Frankie first year. It's just wonderful to get a little injection of comedy there.
1: Frankie first year. Uh, No, we talked about Ron and Hermione in the moist (laughs) uh, Chamber of Secrets. Where, you know, stuff that happens in the Chamber of Secrets stays in the Chamber of Secrets.
0: (laughs) I love, in addition to the kiss itself, which we've already discussed, I love how that secret is revealed later, which is a really touching moment when Ron and Hermione walk in and they're holding hands and Harry Harry sees and he he looks at it and he just smiles his approval. It's really nice. It's like about time, guys. (laughs) It's really nice. That's great. Okay. Number five. Mm. Sights and sounds. Mm. Most notable hair, (laughs) costume, score. Zach Cram's favorite score is in this film. CGI elements, visuals, a lot of compelling visuals as we've talked about already. A lot of CGI in this movie. I mean... Let's talk about what matters most. Ron's getup is Dragomir,
1: really, really good. First of all, it looks like a weird, like a, uh, like a, um, an extra in one of the hostile horror movies, or like. Somebody who works like in an SNM place. Yeah. yeah. The dark beard is a weird look for him in
0: the leather butcher's smock. I personally expect to see him in season four of Billions greeting Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> Martinez at the sex dungeon. Like, that is what I expect. <laughs> I, yeah, I...
1: I love everything about the battle in general. Yes, yes, it's like it plays out in like differently than than you expect. But there's that one moment when the death eaters are swarming, the 5000 death eaters and a couple of them jet through the window uh, on yeah. the upper level and they're casting avada kedavra and then one of the defenders freezes one mm-hmm. mid leap through the window and then blasts him out. And there's all these little moments that happen throughout that are just Absolutely thrilling. I love that song. I love the the uh, giant with his like huge club mm-hmm. trying to sweep away the statues on the on the
0: bridge. Really great stuff. I love all of that. You just used the word sweeping, and there's a lot of sweeping camera work throughout the battle sequences where you're just, it almost feels like you're in flight, you know, circling through, getting to kind of see all of this in this really fluid, natural motion. It's really cool. One of the things I love is is right before the battle, we obviously already discussed the statues coming to life, but I love the mass protego sphere, protego maxima. I love that as well. First of all, just... Watching everybody work together. Yeah, that's really cool. It's just really nice. But seeing the sphere form and then moments later seeing the Death Eaters all fire, or not all Death Eaters, they can't all be Death Eaters, Voldemort's minions right. firing their spells against that sphere. It's just so
1: that's really scintillating. It's also one of the best uh, one of the best moments of real suspense in this movie is after the Protego Sphere has been cast, the defenders are preparing. And that's the moment when Lupin and Tonks are reaching for each other. Uh, I just, you know, I thought that was really cool. Really, really cool.
0: I also love the Voldemort megaphone effect. Yeah. You know, the the sound cue of hearing his voice amplified. The overly dramatized, like, these young people are hearing it in their heads first and screaming thing. I could take it or leave it. It's yeah, cool, yeah. certainly. But the look on everybody's face yeah. as you realize that they're hearing it, They're like, is this real? Is this in my head? Of course it is happening inside your head, but why on earth does that mean it is not real? Yeah. That's just pretty well done. And also, again, just the the line readings from Ray Fiennes are just like chef kiss emoji. Yes. He is feeling it and he yeah. is on one. <laughs> Whatever
1: it is that Molly Wobbles casts at Bellatrix that freezes her mm-hmm. before shattering her into little pieces of ash was really cool. And also... Just like a really satisfying moment. They're dual. Really satisfying. Great. Me. Molly.
0: Yeah. Looking great. New haircut. Real thick wand in her hand. Loves a thick wand in her hand.
1: <laughs> That's better to
0: feel it. Get, get
1: the feel for the wand that way. You know? I also think... Fill up the hand. <laughs> Arthur strikes me as a thick wand guy. Awesome. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. I mean... I could see it. Not a lot of length, but thickness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Not a lot of screen time for Arthur in this I'm movie. By the way. Yeah, we see him like <laughs> over his son's body. Yeah. And it's like, can we get a little more Arthur, please? Very rough. Another entrant is in this category. The whole Gringotts sequence. I mean I loved everything about it. The dragon looks yeah. incredible. And Heart wrenching. They really, they really managed
1: to convey how beaten down and abused this dragon is. It's pale, so pale and these like red scars all over its body, and it kind of has this, even though it reacts. To movement, once they hit the clankers, you could really sense the fear of the yes. animal.
0: I love the way that the dragon moves, the way yeah. it climbs out on its yeah. on its way to freedom. It's just oh, it's so cool. And even before that, you know, the cart ride down, the, yeah, the, the thief's card. downfall, like all the, the vault itself, all of it is so, so, so cool. It's it's really, really great. Another minor entrant for this category. Flayed baby Voldie Soul Shard. And that looked exactly actually. Looks that great. looked exactly the way I wanted to. They, like, in my mind, the way I pictured it, that's how it looked. They definitely took the either CGI design or actual, like, animatronic prop from Goblet of Fire, from his, the baby the little pre-resurrection little baby. <laughs> doll, and just flayed it. Put ketchup on it. It's great. And, you know, it, finally, a King's Cross looks great. It looks great. It
1: does look great. What's Everything uh, it's beautiful. Even even something like, you know, Voldemort's five thousand minions. Mm-hmm. It looks great. It's a great-looking movie. It looks great. I, I also uh shouts to uh Neville casting, you know, uh TNTus Dynamitis or whatever it is that <laughs> blows up the bridge. Uh never seen that spell before, but really interesting. Also like uh, I think Seamus actually, like, planted bombs. Did he?
0: We need to check that then. <laughs> we can check it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's neat to just to see, you know, Daniel Radcliffe without the glasses, without the scar, and then that visual representation. It's, it's all really nice. Number six. Best quote. I think I was more disciplined here than I have ever been before for this category, but I have a few. Let's hear it. Love our girl Luna talking about wind chimes. Yeah, that was f- great. Muggles think these keep evil away, but they're wrong. <laughs> <That was> r- <laughs> actually terrible. They actually scary. <laughs> like <laughs> it's so horrifying, but in a great
1: way. I love it. I uh, Voldemort saying as Harry is walking towards him, Harry Potter, the boy who lived, come to die.
0: I know I've made this point before, but sometimes I think in trailers, yeah. and every now and then a line just triggers a moment for me. I so vividly remember that line in the trailer, seeing the trailer for the first time, I'm feeling like my heart was going to explode because I was so excited to see this movie. Love that. Outer uh, Yeah. again, he's got some bangers. Not a fan of the scene, but there are great moments within the scene. Yeah. This line is strong and again, alarming. You're lying. Not just to me, that doesn't matter. To yourself as well. That's what a fool does. You don't strike me as a fool, Harry Potter. That's a really good line.
1: They kept some of the really good lines from the book that he has. My One of my favorite lines that Aberforth has is when he goes, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Another Aberforth one, he gave her everything but yeah. time. That's a That's a tragic line. Uh, I already said uh, McGonagall saying, I've always wanted to
1: use that spell. Wonderful. Fabulous. Harry's saying to Hermione, Hermione, when have any of our plans actually worked? We plan, we get there, all hell breaks so loose. <laughs> a really nice self-referential
0: <laughs> yeah, moment. That's funny. That's funny. I uh, Speaking of, of Hermione, I like still back in the the Hogshead sequence when she turns to Harry and kind of whispers, you know, those moments when we're reminded that in many ways she is occasionally the group's conscience. Yeah. And she says, of Aberforth, that doesn't seem like someone who's given up. I think it's important to have moments like that in the film where you are asked to remember perspective and the context of somebody else's life. We see so much of the story through Harry's point of view, but other things happen to other people, and they have their own reasons for making the choices that they make, and I think that line conveys that quite well. We mentioned this scene previously,
1: and... I just like this line. So Harry revealing himself to Snape. It seems despite your exhaustive defensive strategies, you still have a bit of a security problem, headmaster. And then that Order of the Phoenix, like, file out behind him. And I'm afraid it's quite extensive. It's like... (laughs) It's just a great, like, action hero line from Harry Potter that I, like, I really enjoyed it. I just find that so
0: cheesy, that whole sequence. really cheesy, but I liked it. Uh, Also, I have a real—something about Daniel Radcliffe's hair in that scene takes me out of it. I'm like, when did you find time to brush your hair, my guy? His hair is so appropriately messy throughout the whole film. By the way, I think the the best he's ever looked— in a, I'm carrying physically the weight of my burden. When he walks into the forest, like, the way that the yeah. makeup designers got him ready for yeah. that, I mean, it's just, it's perfect. And in the great hall, he just looks like he took a bath in the prefect's bathroom. I'm like, how are you I so it, fresh and clean? I think
1: he's like, okay, there's going to be some really cute <laughs> sixth and seventh years here.
0: <laughs> there is Watching funny, me save the world. Funny moment when get he and Joe make eye contact, yeah. and it's like, you Gotta get cleaned up for him. I like Voldemort's they never learn such a pity line yeah. because of course the irony at play there is Supreme who's yes. the one who actually never learns. Yeah. It's him. It's Voldemort. He's the one who never learns. I really enjoy most of the sequence between Harry and the the Grey Lady and I find the way she says strange you remind me of him a bit to be like really gripping and disturbing in a, in a compelling way that's awesome I go back
1: and forth on this particular line uh, we talked about how fourth's uh, scenes were kind of neutered uh, a line such as this had to exist but I did, I did kind of like it what makes you think you can trust him what makes you think you can believe anything my brother told you and all the time you knew him did he ever mention my name did he ever mention hers if you're going to make the changes that you make you kind of have to have something like that in there
0: a little on the nose here or the absence of a nose but Voldemort's Only I Can Live Forever is a great movie villain line. It just is. We already talked about I'll Go With You. I like it. That's fine. You you don't like it. I I
1: don't like the whole exchange and everything that follows. It's like the, you know, it's the fruit of the poison tree.
0: Mm -hmm. And then your last one. My last one is another Voldemort one. From this day forth, you put your faith in me. Another fabulous villain movie line. That's a good one. Good Ray Finds movie. Number seven. Who won the movie? I think we agree.
1: Alan Rickman is. Alan great, Rickman crushed, is. Snape. And he needed to, like, emotionally, he needed to carry the weight of this movie. And to do it through different timelines with different uh, levels of makeup on, uh, through different levels of mm-hmm. stress in the scenes that he was playing, I just thought he really killed it. I mean, like, and you could tell Yates is like, yeah, he's crushing this because they they close in on his face so many times and- he really puts all those emotions on his face. It's it's amazing and really jarring for a character, as we've noted numerous times, has really lived behind this mask of impassiveness mm-hmm. for much of the movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, Alan Rickman was absolutely fabulous in this role throughout the entire series, but so much of the end of not only this movie, but the entire series, the franchise hinges on him pulling it off as expertly as he does in this film. And it's important to remember that J.K. Rowling told Alan Rickman where the character's arc was going. Very, you know, she important. has, since his death in 2016, she has revealed since then that she told him the the truth of the word always. The story behind the word always and that reveal. And... He knew. I mean, imagine knowing that. Imagine knowing the truth that so many legions of readers and moviegoers were obsessing over and wondering about. And even though we don't get every single Snape moment in the films that we do in the books, you really see and can appreciate in his performance as you return to it over time how that knowledge informed subtle choices in his performance. And you feel it, I think, in this film most of all, but it's really there if you look for it. It's there the whole time. Wonderful.
1: I I just want to shout out Special consideration, uh, Helena Bottom Carter when she plays uh, Hermione. Um, yeah, that's good. Under the sway of Polyjuice, playing Bellatrix, uh, because she, all the mannerisms are there. It's like, oh shit, yeah, that's right. Helena Bottom Carter is like a Shakespearean act. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, really good. Like, Great. just a little bit of lack of confidence. The the just being a kind person rather than a just a uh, murderous asshole mm-hmm. the little things she does like with her eyes and her face and the way she kind of wobbles on her heels as yeah. they walk into gringotts all of that is wonderful so 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 good
0: very very much looking forward to season three of the crown
1: <laughs> i love the crown you know that cannot
0: wait for Helena to join yes the Crown family what a margaret she's gonna be uh Another small winner, but I feel compelled to mention. You know, it's just a, it's an incredible Mrs. Norris performance in this film. When Filch comes into the Great Hall and McGonagall is dunking on him, Mrs. Norris is just chilling in Filch's arms, luxuriating. Not a care in the world. And I just love when we get cats in these movies. I find myself missing Crookshanks, longing for the days when we had Crookshanks on the screen. It's great to see Mrs. Norris yeah, again. Love her. Another winner, we have to say, J.K. Rowling. Because look. Yeah. You realize watching the film adaptation, <laughs> not that you needed to be reminded of it, but you really are reminded of what an incomparable achievement this book is. <laughs> this is the, this is
1: the uh, uh, George R. R. Martin season seven Game of Thrones theory as
0: well. <laughs> All right, friends. We now speak directly to you. And to Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher, as well as Evan Campbell, who helped produce today's episode. We hope that you enjoyed discussing these films as much as we did, that you're as excited as we are. Share the final phase of this beautiful journey together. And that you'll join us again next time when we will be concluding binge mode Harry Ah! Potter with a little cursed child talk, the final all HP edition of Ask the Underscore. And we're really looking forward to this our closing thoughts on what makes Harry Potter so special. We are collecting your owl post questions now on all of our social feeds. And speaking of those social feeds, please stay plugged in to all of our social media communities between the end of the Harry Potter run and the start of Binge Mode Game of Thrones. It has been so wonderful to see these communities grow and thrive, and we want to remind you all that they're not going anywhere. Until next pod, remember, Ah! let's finish this the way we started, together.
1: Neville, you all right? Oh, yeah, Harry. I just burned like 30 people out there. It's great. Me and Seamus, Seamus, Hey, Harry, I in the problems. I burn them up. Okay, you guys, wanna just calm down. There's, people are getting killed out there. I know, Harry, it's great. I love it.